Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Welcome back, friends. I hope hope you've had a chance to listen to our last two podcasts where we've delved into the issues of identity and community for those of us who are returning to the Hebraic roots of our faith. In our last podcast, titled Who Am I?, Gary and I shared our testimonies, our lifelong journeys about how we got to where we are in our faith walk. In that podcast, we talked about how we got to where we are now in stages. The first stage was what many would call a born-again experience. We came to realize and accept our need for a Savior, specifically the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua, or Jesus, as most of us first came to know him. The next stage of our journey was one where we came to realize that the nation and the people of Israel should matter to us because they matter to God. We began getting involved in ministries that supported Israel and the Jewish people. We made our first visit to the Holy Land and started our discovery of the rich significance and meaning of understanding our Messiah by learning about and celebrating his culture his people, and his language. We talked about how we know a lot of Christians who've gotten to this point in their faith journey. They understand the need to learn about and bless Israel, and they do so joyfully. This is a great place to be. But for Gary and I, and I dare say for many of you, there was still another step. That stage was the very profound realization that through the sacrifice of Yeshua on the cross, we've now been joined to the family of Israel in a way that demands that our lives and our behaviors change. As part of the family, we now know that we should be honoring and celebrating the same holy days, eating the same family foods, engaging in the same biblical traditions that many of our Jewish brothers and sisters have been doing for millennia. As we have said many times, we do not do this because we're trying to earn our salvation, but rather because we're grateful for God's grace and we want to respond with obedience to his commands. This, my friends, is the faith step that many Christians cannot or do not take for all sorts of reasons. They cannot get past the ingrained church idea that Christians and Jews are on parallel tracks that should never cross. We may intellectually understand that we're children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we do not know how that translates into our real everyday lives. We see ourselves as separate but equal. At best, at worst, in comparison to Jewish people, we see ourselves as separate but superior. It's an arrogance that even the Apostle Paul warned us about. Our Christian faith has been so warped by underlying pagan influences and by deep-seated anti-Semitism and replacement theology that we just can't comprehend a world where Jews and Christians are one. Yet this is the very thing that the restoration of the kingdom of God is all about. 
is what Yeshua's death was all about. In other words, it's a big deal. So after this break, let's talk about this big deal and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. Okay, so as usual, we have a really big topic here, Gary. <laughs> we don't don't handle anything simple there, do we? It doesn't here. seem like that. I guess all of these topics just really matter. Well, they do matter, and it's because, as you pointed out in your intro, they're foreign to so many in the Christian faith that it seems like more of a big deal uh, than, honestly, it should have been. Than, honestly, it should have been, yes. You know, we just completed the Passover season, mm -hmm. and this year, like most years, this season fell right on top of the Christian or Catholic Holy Week, mm -hmm. or what many people know is like the Easter season. Yeah. You know, and I look... <laughs> listen to you... <laughs> I look at how lots of Christians celebrate Easter, and I'm reminded of the Israelites, you know, mixing the holy and the profane. It's one thing, you know, for like Walmart to mix it, yeah. you know, but but quite another for our churches to be doing so. You know, there are things like Easter egg hunts. I've heard of resurrection rabbits, you know, and this seemingly insane attempt to make something holy out of something that's profane, you know, an attempt to, what, redeem the I, I've heard that. Yeah, we, we've redeemed this. You know, Kathy, just quickly, I don't want to get off track too far, but, you know, it was already a problem in my book, you know, in opinion, for many, many years. But then just recently, I know you and I both read uh, Jonathan Kahn's book of, uh, you know, The Return of the Gods. So now, even more so, when I hear that word Easter based on the name Ishtar, Ishtar, the false god, uh, it just, it, it points, it, to me, it, it really drives home the, the idea that we need to purge that even from our, from our lexicon. I mean, we should, Christians should not be paying homage to a false god as they, as In they think way, they're shape honoring or form. God. Yeah, no, and, yeah. and, 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 I, and we've talked before, you know, they, we can't redeem anything. No. Okay? And I've heard that so many times. Well, you know, we can redeem this egg or whatever. We don't redeem anything. You know, God redeems things. So Do us just declaring something, but, yeah. right, you know, us saying, oh, this is clean. Mm. You know, this is holy. We can't do that. We don't have the authority to do that. No, we don't. And yet in the church, we seem to try to do that all the time. And I could say, yes, even with good intention, I don't think that most of the Christian church is saying, oh, we want to worship Easter in the same way that they did in ancient times. But 
you know, we can talk about slippery slopes. We can just talk about my people are destroyed oh, by lack of knowledge. Where does this lead but to confusion? It leads to confusion, but it's also opening that door, that proverbial door to this paganism, which is demonically influenced and therefore, I believe, robs the power from the church that it, that, that it could have by following the command and being obedient to God. Yeah, absolutely. I think that... We just don't trust that if we do what God said, the mm. way he said to do it, honor my holy days, right? Amen. My Moedim. Yes. Um, we think somehow we can't share the gospel. We can't share our faith. We've got a better way of doing it. Well, see, that's the words. Once again, the words of Constantine, a more convenient way. That was his words. But you know, you and I both have a testimony about the Passover, about how that affected our lives. When, when, we, were so, when we were witness to that, when we experienced that, it changed us. So what's to say that if we, as, or as the Christian world would purge its pagan ways and begin to do things God ways, how many lives would be affected for, for how God? How powerful that yes. would be to do it God's way. And yet, what we just don't trust that. Mm. We don't trust Apparently that we can not. do that. It reminds me of, you know, uh, Peter stepping out of the boat. Mm. Do you trust me? Yeah. You know? And, and we're like, no, we got to keep doing it this way. We've got to uh, call it Easter and get people in that way because that's what they know. Well, not necessarily. Have you tried something else? Have you tried? <laughs> you know, I, I actually had that conversation with a very well-known, I will not mention his name, a very well-known pastor who has a very, very large congregation and understands the idea of supporting Israel. Mm -hmm. But when I asked him, why, why are you still using that Easter name for yourself? He says, well, we don't want to confuse the community. They're coming here looking for that, you know. Like, that was his answer. We don't want to confuse by using God's terminology, <laughs> God's ways, God's yeah. commands. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got that absolutely backwards. You know, but on the other hand, Gary, we have to acknowledge that there are more and more ch churches who are ditching these extremely pagan trappings, okay? Mm -hmm. There are churches that are saying, we're not going to do the eggs and the True. rabbits, right? And they're focusing at least on this concept of resurrection day. That step is certainly right a step yes. in the right direction. I, I love that. And it takes a lot to turn a big ship. Correct. Okay, it takes a lot, and it's not fast. We want to see it a lot faster. Even in our lives, it took time. Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about an institution. Honestly, I don't believe, and God can prove me wrong, that the institution is going to change. I think individual hearts are going to change. I, I see that. We're witnessing that. Anecdotally, that's what we're witnessing. It's not the institution. It's the individuals one by one family by family, you know, coming out of that, coming out of Babylon, in my opinion, come That's out from among is. them. That's right. Uh, and, and, and starting just, just gathering uh, in small congregations, home home groups or, or whatever. And, and, you know, we started that way. Yes. And I know for me that it was easier to add in some of these celebrations than it was to take away mm. other celebrations. Okay, so what I was doing, what I had been doing all my life for Christmas or Easter, I first added in Passover. Yeah. Okay, then I took it away. And 
whether or not that's the way it should be done, it's a slow process. God has lots of patience with us. You know, that's, you know, <laughs> we thank, thank you, God thank for you, his, his thank long you. suffering and his that's, mercy. That's right. Yeah. But um, it, it, is a, it is a tough transition, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what I wanted you to do, Gary, is once again, whether you've heard this before from Gary or not, is, you know, we both had moments of revelation yeah. that made that made the the change, the light come on in our lives where we kind of understood who we are. Right. And I was wondering if you could share again a couple of those moments that were really important to you. Yeah, we talked in our, our last podcast about Romans 11, my experience with that. Um, I was challenged to read it again. And, and I would challenge our audience right now, Go back and read Romans 11 again, if even if you've read it before, and see what God is saying to you. Um, I read it and read the the passage about uh, being grafted in, and I realized immediately, and this was the Spirit of God, immediately that we were part of something so much bigger than I ever imagined. You know, I came into the faith, as you mentioned in your intro, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, you know, we, we've since got to know him as Yeshua, his, his true Hebrew name, and his, and his nature. But my door opened widely when I read Romans 11 and realized that we became part of them, meaning Israel. Um, that, that's what Romans 11 really tells us. And Ephesians 2, I think you're going to talk about that mm-hmm. again later. Um, and then, then as you and I... Uh, got to know each other and and spoke about this idea of two families or two sticks or or, or two, houses two houses or two houses, kingdoms two that kingdoms. we're going to talk about. Yeah, today. all those things we're going to talk about today. Uh, it was Genesis thirty five that really drove that home for me. Um, the language there, and this is God blessing Jacob and saying to him, "I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply, a nation." And a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. That's Genesis 35, verse 11. I did a little drill down on the Hebrew there. And the first word for nation, I will multiply a nation, basically just means that he would continue to grow among, you know, that that family family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would continue to grow. But then the wording changes. We read it in the English as nation and company of nations. But in the Hebrew, it's uh, it's a different word uh, from the, the from the first word rabah, which is just many will come from you and keep growing. And then the second one was um, go- goyim. Goyim. The, the the which you know we know it means the nations or the Gentiles, mm-hmm. so God is saying to him, your nation, your family is going to grow, and then nations, people from the nations will be a part of that. Yes, gathering. and and they're both going to come from you. Yeah, in fact, it's kahal goyim. Kahal Goim means a company of nations. It means a gathering. And we, you know, when we use the word church today from the Greek um, ekklesia, but from the Hebrew, it's kahal. It's, an, it's a gathering in God's name. So a gathering of Gentiles will also be a part of your legacy, Jacob. That's right. Who becomes Israel. Right. Not all Gentiles, but there will be a gathering yes. of Gentiles along with this first group 
Yes. And many times I think when I read it, I just felt like it was a repeat of the first group. You know, I wasn't. Right. That's I was how it reads as, in English. That's how it reads in English. But but when you it's look at it, it's more. It's, it's much more than that. And so that really, I remember coming to you and saying, mm-hmm. Kathy, I, I see this and, and the word of God is pointing it out very clearly. Amazing how the word does that. (laughs) You know, we mentioned Ephesians 2, and we've talked about it before. And that's the one, you know, there's Paul, because a lot of people are like, oh, you're talking Old Testament, you know, uh, where's this concept in the New Testament? Well, it is in Ephesians 2. And Paul says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, that's that goyim, right? Right. Um, In the flesh and called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision that's done by the body, that done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What are we bringing, being brought near to? We are brought near We are joining that commonwealth of Israel. We're brought near to the covenants. It's only through Yeshua that we're able to do that. Yes, and this and this was the mystery that Paul spoke of. Yes, because when you when we read, remember the the uh, the confusion and the the um, uh, controversy in the early gatherings. You know, I'm not going to use the word church at this point. Let's let's not let's not and let's just walk this through. This group of individuals who would, we would call Jewish, uh, for lack of a better term right now, were, were struggling with this idea that God's reaching out to the Gentiles. You know, this is our God, and we've always kept separate from them. And now all of a sudden we're realizing that we're told we, they have to be included you know, Peter struggled with this, Peter Acts chapter 10. He went it, to the yes. house of Cornelius and said, oh, I realize now God is no respecter of persons. That's right. And so um, Paul was driving this home here and saying, no, the Gentiles who, yes, were once outside of these covenant promises are now part of the promise because of the blood of Yeshua. And so this this was the mystery that was revealed in the first century. And sadly, it's been reversed in the 21st century. Yes, and, and this is that reference back to what's what was spoken of in Genesis 35, this company of nations, right. this nation and company of nations. This, this is another way of saying that, that here is in Ephesians 2. You know, you're, you're now, it's you who were once goyim, okay? Right. You know, you're joined in here. You're joined into this commonwealth, this family of Israel. Amen. And what does that mean is what we're going to be getting at too right. and it, and it's all com- i mean like the confession of of ruth uh, yes. your god my god your, your people, people my, my people. people it's got to be our realization and our confession as well you know what's even more interesting is that yeshua himself said something i, I think is so provocative <laughs> in in matthew 15 that's the story of the canaanite woman who comes to jesus because he, her daughter is demon possessed okay mm-hmm. And he, it appears like he's rebuking her at first, but then what he ends up doing, of course, is uh, he's impressed by her faith. Right. Um, But he makes an interesting statement in all of this. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's like, huh? 
what? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean by that statement, Jesus? Yeah. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, we've got to find out who these people are because they're they're among the nations, but they've forgotten. They've their, forgotten lost their identity. They they they're apparently lost. They've lost their identity. Right. And so, what does he mean in this house of Israel? And they're lost. And it's very very provocative mm -hmm. that I don't think within the church that was ever addressed. I never remember ever thinking about it. And you just, it's one of those read over things, right? Yeah, like fly over country, right? <laughs> yeah. You just read over it. Yeah. So what we want to do today is we're going to go back and try to figure out from our Bibles why Yeshua said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In fact, we're going to basically going to be doing this with kind of a story hour. It's sure. a little bit different than how we've done other podcasts. So what Gary and I are going to do is kind of take turns telling the story of Israel, commenting when we see fit, because I don't think we can help but do that, right? <laughs> it's in our nature. Exactly. But we're just going to take times, take time to tell this story. This story comes straight from our Bibles. Amen. Okay. We're not, we can, um, provide extra testimony and witness from extra biblical sources about the history of this, but it's all right there in your Bibles. Right. Okay. So you have to take it up with God. You have to take, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to begin with once upon a time. Okay. okay. God chose a man named Abram and told him to leave his country and travel to a new land, the land of Canaan, which would later be known as Israel. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, and he made a covenant with Abraham, which is recorded in Genesis 17. Okay, Genesis 17, 8. Remember now, God is God no matter what, but he's God through to a people through covenant. Genesis 17, 7 and 8 says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And to you and your descendants, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. So he made a couple promises there. He's going to give them a land and he's going to be their God, mm -hmm. right? And so he'll, they'll be his people. That was that Ruth idea, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. So what happened was Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And although Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn, the Bible tells us in Genesis 17 that God continued his covenant through Isaac, Isaac grew up and had two sons. Although Esau was his firstborn, God established his covenant through Jacob. This is where we see the promise to Jacob that he would be a nation and a company of nations, as we just spoke out about in Genesis 35. Now the story starts to get even more interesting. Jacob grew up and had 12 sons. Gary, I don't know. Can you name all of them? Well, I, you I know what? Know. I, I knew you were going to challenge me, Did so I wrote them down. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait. Now, don't look at that list. Come on. I, I know that we can do Reuben, yes. Simeon, Levi, Judah. I can always you're do the doing, first you're, four. You're doing Leah's sons, yes. Exactly. Reuben, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. 
And whose sons were those? Those were Leah's sons. Those were okay, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and then, then of course she had she had a maidservant, Zilpah, who had Gad and Asher. Right, right. And then you have to go over to Rachel, which is easy because it's just two. There's just two. So that's Joseph, uh, and, Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin, yes. right? And then uh, her maidservant, Bilhah, had Dan and Naphtali. Oh, Abraham was busy. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole different story. <laughs> so we've got what we call the 12 tribes of Israel with these 12 sons. And so they, be, and that's what we kind of know them as today. Mm -hmm. So they came into the land of Canaan and conquered it. Well, that's another story in, in and yeah. of itself. Okay. It wasn't a quick process by any means. <laughs> and it wasn't complete, unfortunately. Never was, was it? Mm -hmm. But God promised that he would be the king to Israel. But eventually, Israel asked for a human king, just like all the other nations had around them. Mm -hmm. And God complied and established Saul as Israel's first king. But because of Saul's disobedience, God took the kingdom from him and gave it to a man after his own heart. That would be David. Everybody knows Amen. David was, uh, was a man after God's own heart. Now, David's son, Solomon, had inherited the kingdom upon David's death. And historically, the kingdom of Israel was more or less united under the rules of David and Solomon. It's probably the only time yes, right, it was. That, that, that it was really united. And in, but in reality, it already consisted of two aliases, I guess I would say. Alliances. 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 Well, alliances, <laughs> the allies. <laughs> It's one of those words, right? Okay. Alliances. There was a southern alliance of two tribes that came to be known as Judah and a northern alliance of 10 tribes that is sometimes in the Bible called the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's called Ephraim. Mm, that's interesting. Right. Named after Jacob's Egyptian grandson. You're like, what? Okay, so why are we calling this 10 tribes in the north sometimes calling it Ephraim. That just seems odd. <laughs> well, to answer that question, we have to back up in our story a bit and get a better idea of who Ephraim was and why it mattered to Israel and, and to us. So Jacob had 12 sons, as we mentioned. We know them now as, as the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob had a favorite son by his favorite wife, Rachel. This son was Joseph, because Jacob favored Joseph more than the others. The other brothers got jealous and ended up selling him into slavery. But the Bible tells us that the brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. Joseph was taken to Egypt as a slave, but he remained faithful to God and rose in status to eventually become second in command to Pharaoh himself. He married an Egyptian woman and had two sons. The older one was named Manasseh and the younger one, Ephraim. Okay, so he's saying Ephraim, I'm saying Ephraim. They're oh, both the same Ephraim, people, yeah, just Ephraim, so you guys know Ephraim. it, and you will definitely hear it in yeah. uh, both the same way. And I do, I kind of switch back and forth. I we do had too. a community that was named Male Ephraim. That's you know? right. So, so yeah. that's where you'd be used to it. Yeah. So on his deathbed, Jacob did a very strange thing, which is recorded right in Genesis 48. It's come to be known as the cross handed blessing. So first, Grandpa Jacob literally adopted his two grandsons, his Egyptian grandsons, as his own, putting them in the direct line of inheritance along with his other sons. Then Jacob did something really strange. 
he crossed his hands and placed them on Joseph's two sons' heads, and he started to bless them. But against Jacob's pro- against Jacob's protest, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, against Joseph's protest. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dad, Dad, Joseph is looking and going, wait. You've got your hands crossed and you've got that you're going to be giving the firstborn blessing right. to the younger son. And so Joseph was like, no, no, dad, you yeah. got this. You're not seeing correctly but here. He did right? it very deliberately. <laughs> so he what happened was this firstborn blessing always carried with it the idea of plenty of fruitfulness. OK, having mm-hmm. a lot of something. And in this case, Jacob ended up blessing Ephraim with what is known as the double portion blessing. And what it, it carried a number of blessings with it. But the one that we're dealing with today is that his descendants would be abundantly fruitful, that there would be a lot of them, right? <laughs> and this blessing became the foundation for the prophecy regarding the future of Israel. It all was happening Right here, this this was a very prophetic event recorded in Genesis 48. Once again, most Christians have no idea. Probably not. And and that's that's the beauty of the word. And if, when, when you learn that it all so beautifully ties together, it can build your faith, Kathy. Because, you know, it was many generations later, Ephraim's descendants grew into a dominant tribe of Israel's northern alliance because there were so many of them. Thus, the Bible sometimes calls the Northern Alliance Ephraim. We see this cross-handed blessing was prophetic, and we see that the beginnings of this fulfillment in the ancient history of Israel and the Northern Kingdom. So we just took a little detour, okay, just to explain who this this Ephraim character was, right? Because most people have no idea who he is. They don't don't know that name at all, okay? Very true. So let's go back to where we were before this little detour. History tells us that this southern alliance or southern kingdom was called Judah, and the northern kingdom, as I said, was sometimes called just Israel. And that's where it gets confusing, Gary, is when is the Bible referring to the entire kingdom as Israel, and when is it just referring to those 10 northern alliance tribes as Israel? You have to know the context. You have to be reading the entire scripture and not just nitpicking, cherry-picking scripture. Right, exactly. Because in the context, you understand that at some point there's Judah and there's Israel, sometimes called Ephraim. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so that's important, mm-hmm. and so you don't want to get confused in that. And that happens a lot of the prophets. Okay, yeah. so they'll use um, Israel, the house of Israel, and they are just referring to the northern tribes. Okay, that's true. Um, so that takes. A little more digging into, but mm-hmm. isn't that the fun part about the well, Bible? It is the fun part. I, it's unfortunate that we're, we're so casual with our, our understanding, and I think so, too many are dependent on just what their pastors say. Um, I encourage you and challenge you, dig into the scripture yourself, and you will see these things, because you won't necessarily always hear this uh, if you're just listening to a pastor or a teacher. I don't think I ever did. <laughs> I, I mean, really. You, I know. Yeah, exactly. So so what we're saying is that this northern kingdom can, in your Bibles, be called Israel. It can be called mm-hmm. Ephraim. Um, the southern kingdom is always called Judah, Correct. right? Yeah. And sometimes, of course, the Bible refers to the entire nation as Israel, right? Yes. So that's, yeah. that's what we want to say. So now let's pick back up with the story of Solomon. 
Solomon, David's son. Solomon was known to us for his wisdom, right? Mm. But even with all that wisdom, he sinned greatly in God's eyes by taking many foreign wives and following after their gods, thus mm. leading all the people astray. That, that's always a sad thing, what, what he sad. did, because he was so wise. Yes. And yet, you know, this... This yeah, this thing maybe too wise for his own good because he thought that he could guard his heart against these the things that God had warned him, and he did. But he did exactly what God oh, had warned him. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So now Gary's going to read once again straight from the Bible mm -hmm. to explain what happened next. He's going to be reading from First Kings chapter eleven. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord God, as, it was his heart, as was the heart of his father David. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do this in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of your hand, the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And I just want to qualify that statement there. Benjamin had been incorporated, kind that's of swallowed right. up into, into Judah. Judah. And right. that's why he says one tribe. Right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's something you got to have to know in context too, mm -hmm. right? That the tribe of Benjamin came up under that tribe of Judah. Right. Just, right? As the other Just like the other ones came up under Ephraim. Amen, right? exactly. So God promised, he promised to tear the whole kingdom of Israel into two parts under the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. So in fulfillment of this promise, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, and I don't know why God chose people with these names that sound so much alike, okay? So the servant, Jeroboam, rebelled against King Solomon, and after Solomon's death, the people of the northern tribes declared Jeroboam as the new king of the ten tribes in the north. And so the details of this story are recorded in chapters 11 and 12 of 1 Kings. But really, the most amazing part of this story is this was all part of God's plan. Yeah. You know, in 1 Kings 12, 15, it says, For the turn of events, what we just talked about, this tearing away, was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word. You know, it makes me wonder, is the, the veil that's over the church right now all part of the plan, too? Which, you know, God, God wasn't surprised by that. Because they really have committed the same sins of Jeroboam. When you think about it, what did what happened? Don't go to Jerusalem. We have Rome. Don't go and you know celebrate the feasts there. We have made our own, own feasts. feasts. It's exactly it's the, the exact same, same sins of, of Jeroboam that the church, church committed. And I, I do mm -hmm. believe indeed that this blindness that mm -hmm. has come that Paul said um, is obviously all part of God's plan, yeah. but it's not a blindness forever. No, it's not That's a blindness That's the most forever. exciting and thing. I don't, I don't believe it's the ideal situation for God's people. It's no. just that he, accept, he knew that we were going to go through this. That's right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So God split the kingdom into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom known as Ephraim, Israel, or, you know, going, you can use those interchangeably, Ephraim right. or uh, Ephraim, and it's also 
known as Israel, mm -hmm. with its capital in Samaria, and a southern kingdom known as Judah, with its capital in Jerusalem. After this time, these two kingdoms op operated independently and played different roles in God's plan of redemption. Sometimes the Bible calls these two kingdoms two families, two houses, or we'll even see where they're called two sticks. God tried to warn both of these kingdoms of the dire consequences of turning away from him. And in 2 Kings 17, it tells us that the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah, okay, the north and the south, by all the prophets, saying, turn away from your evil ways and keep my commandments. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. So in 722 BC, God punished the northern kingdom by sending them into exile in Assyria. Mm -hmm. Second Kings chapter 17, Gary's going to read, tells us exactly what happened. So we're not making this up, folks. We're just <laughs> reading it from your Bibles, right? Amen. In the ninth year of King Hoshea, the king of the northern kingdom, king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel to Assyria. Remember, this is just the northern kingdom now we're talking about. The Lord was angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Once again, that's one of those tricky verses that mm -hmm. if you don't know what it's referencing, you think is that the entire nation of Israel, but it's really referencing just the northern kingdom. The and northern we know historically tribes. that's exactly what happened. Sure. Okay, we so Judah was left, right? Judah yes. was left at that time. That's right. But alas, Judah did not learn from Ephraim Israel's transgressions, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom continued to reject God and seek after the pagan gods of their neighbors. And about 136 years later, God allowed the Babylonians to conquer the southern kingdom of Judah and carry many into exile. This is the time in biblical history when we read about Daniel's story and that mm -hmm. occurring, right? So the prophet Jeremiah said, the two families which the Lord has chosen, he will cast them off. Jeremiah 33, 24. It's so, another throwaway that people may write, write, read right over and not think about, but two families. It, 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 it's very clear that there's a, there's a division There's that back there. to Genesis 35. Exactly. There's a company and a, 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 of nations, a nation and a company, a company of, of nations. nations. That's yeah. that two families. Yes. So after 70 years in Babylon, some of the people of Judah returned to the land of Israel and rebuilt the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, as recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And certainly there would have been representation from all of the other tribes who would have returned uh, because, you know, you know that they have to be in a, a mixed uh, with, with Judah through marriage. But not everyone returned. Some Jews had established lives and businesses in Babylon and chose not to return. But interesting, interestingly, most of the Jews of Judah, even those who had been exiled in Babylon, retained their identity as Jews, God's chosen people. Years later, in 70 AD, when the Romans conquered Judah and Jerusalem, most of the people living in Judah were exiled again. But again, for the most part, these Jews retained their identity as Jews, no matter where they went. But not the same can be said of the Israelites from the northern kingdom, known as Ephraim. 
they they could not they did not as prophesied by God keep their identity and in fact the prophet Hosea tells us that these I'll call them Ephraimites right mm-hmm. here that's another term sure. you'll hear completely lost their identity in Hosea 8 8 it says Israel is swallowed up they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which there is no pleasure you know, Gary, when you swallow something, mm-hmm. it gets mingled with everything else in your digestive system. You can't pull out, this is the apple that I ate, or this is, you know, something else that I eat. It good, is all mixed in there. Good imagery there, Kathy. I'm very good. It's very, <laughs> yes, I mean, that was God's imagery, really. <laughs> it was very effective, right? Yes. He uses, you know, our bodies, he uses right. trees, everything, whatever he can use to get the point across. Yes. So the way that the Assyrian Empire conquered other nations, okay, you can you you can read about this in history, was by taking the people from a conquered area and kind of seeding them into other parts of the Assyrian Empire. In this way, the conquered people were assimilated into the rest of the empire. They became Assyrians, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, as future empires rose and fell, the descendants of the northern kingdom ended up migrating all over the world. They don't just stay in that first place where their great-great-great-great-grandfather went, right? right? That's never happened. People move. And so this story of them moving around the world has become the part of the legend of the lost tribes of Israel. Some would retain pieces of ancient memories in the form of rituals or customs, but most completely, but not, but most just assimilated. It's right. like Hosea said, I read, I remember, no, I didn't read. I saw a really cool uh, DVD years ago, Gary, in one of my Torah classes. And it was about these lost tribes and how there was a researcher going out looking for all of these tribes. Mm-hmm. And he found remnants of these tribes in um, Afghanistan, in China, all over like the Middle East and all of that. And they had retained some little yes. piece that somehow they were connected. It could have been a making of something like matzah or a, a candle lighting or something. Exactly. You know? And so surely, surely those people are descendants, right? Uh, of these 12 tribes. I feel strongly. It's like you said, most of them fully assimilated, but there seem to be pockets all over the world. And I too um, have heard eyewitness stories um, of, of a friend, actually, Victor Schlaughter, who was a nuclear physicist turned missionary um, and author. And he wrote a book about this, uh, shared stories about people all over the world from Papua, Papua New, New Guinea. Guinea. I exactly. remember Victor Schlaughter, from yes. From Papua New Guinea all the way around the world where they had Names of their God were very similar to Yah or Yehovah, something similar, uh, or they were they were setting aside uh, Friday night and Saturday, you know, for special time to gather, or they were or they were eating you know, certain foods that they've always eaten, or were lighting candles and don't know, couldn't remember even why exactly, but That's, always have done it. Always, we've just always done it this yes. way. Those kind Beautiful of stories, stories pop up yes. all over. Not to mention as you go into. Uh, those stories of the uh, the people out of of Africa who mm-hmm. are coming from Ethiopia, and there's some kind of remembrance of them being Jewish. These people went all over the they place, did. you know. So so Judah did too, yeah. Uh, but Ephraim did. But the the Bible tells us over and over that much of Ephraim 
forgot who they were. Yes. Okay. So even though some retained some imagery, I don't think in any means that like the people that were recorded and uh, that I looked at on that DVD, that those can't be the only descendants of the Northern kingdom because the Bible says they, these people will forget. Yeah. Yeah. They'll forget. They have like a collective amnesia, right? Yeah. Well, they're scattered all over the world. But, you know, one final anecdote before we take another mm -hmm. break. I, you know, because of my involvement in the Aliyah, I've heard uh, testimonies of grandmothers, great grandmothers on their deathbeds turning to their children and their grandchildren saying, we're Jewish. That's right. That's you right. Know, so they, she hadn't forgotten, or they hadn't forgotten. But most, most, you know, all through South America, there's so many that were who were scattered with the uh, the um, Spanish Inquisition and things right. of that nature. They're all over the world, and many don't know anymore who they are. But why don't we pick it up again after the break? For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact. Almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Wow. So it seems like at this stage in our story, all hope is lost. You know, both of these kingdoms of Israel have sinned greatly, and they have been punished through exile. Many have forgotten who they were, kind of like I said, a collective amnesia. Mm. But, you know, God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten. And many, many of the biblical prophets talk about the restoration of these two kingdoms or these two families. Well, you know, in the book of Hosea, uh, and I want to say Hoshea. Hoshea, yes. Uh, but, so I, and, but it's Hosea for, for, uh, for some, but um, the Hebrew name Hoshea. The prophet spoke about the kingdom of Ephraim, Israel. Hoshea had commanded by God to marry a prophet. Because Ephraim, Mary, a prostitute. I'm sorry, a prostitute. <laughs> he was See, a we, prophet. We, we, <laughs> he was the prophet. We've both done this now today, Kathy. That's right. Uh, yes, he, he was the prophet, and he was to marry a, a prostitute, prostitute. Because Ephraim had become like a prostitute in God's eyes. Hoshea had three children by this prostitute. God, God told him, and we are you obviously reading, and my page got stuck. <laughs> God told him. To name the first one Jezreel, meaning God has scattered. This was, of course, uh, to indicate that God would scatter the ten northern tribes of Israel throughout the world. And God named the second one, chi second child, Lo Ruhamah, meaning no compassion, because God had no compassion on Ephraim because they had completely abandoned him and his Torah. The third child was named Lo Ami not a people. So how interesting that God was foretelling that Ephraim was going to be not a people. Not a people. Meaning they would forget they were part of this chosen family of God. They would forget that. This is what Loamine means. They would forget their heritage. They would forget that they were part of the family. And you know what? Hosea goes on to say in chapter 7 that Ephraim mixes with the nations. Mm -hmm. Foreigners sap his strength, 
but he does not realize it. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. Wow. Do you take a little offense at that, Gary? (laughs) (laughs) I think he's talking about us. He's talking about us, but thank God that we've come to our senses, you know, I mean, that he's revealed by his spirit these things. So, you know, consider this. God says that through Hosea in chapter 8, verse 11, I wrote for them the many things of my Torah, but they regarded them as something alien. Something, isn't that, I mean, it's so specific. We've we've been deceived. We were deceived by in all of our ways, both as unbelievers and believers. We we're still deceived for to a point. And then we look at the Torah today. When you and I talk Torah, like we're doing right now, People, their eyes glaze over or they look at us with like we, like we have two heads. That's right. And so it's alien. It is alien. And Hosea right. 9.3 says, Of Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean foods in Assyria. Uh, so, I mean, again, right back to just being a Gentile. You know, or at least that's that what company of nations do in, when in Rome, right? That's right. You when know? you're with the Gentiles, so, too, it's the Gentiles. Yeah. So Hosea uh, continu- continued, God will reject them because they have not obeyed Him. They will be wanderers among the nations. It doesn't get any clearer. It, it's so clear. It seems so clear. And I know we've kind of alluded uh, to future parts of this story, but you know, what a story! Someone should really make a movie about this. <laughs> <You're> feeling <laughs> you <know>? ambitious? <laughs> exactly. Um, the Bible tells us that there's a whole group of people wandering in the world who've forgotten who they are. Mm-hmm. And remember that cross-handed blessing, how Ephraim received the blessing of abundance and fruitfulness. So that prophetic event showed us that there would be many, many, many descendants of Ephraim. Mm-hmm. So... Who are these wanderers among the nations who think Torah is alien, who eat unclean foods, who are deceived and called loami, not a people? What happened to them? Will they ever wake up and realize who they are? Will they repent and return to their heritage? Hmm. Ah, join us for our next podcast to learn the rest of the story. And until next time, remember what the psalmist said, those who love your Torah have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Shalom. Shalom. You have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.